morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to Mother's Day. And if you hadn't quite caught it yet with uh, the introductory video and with the special greetings to moms, special games for moms, yes, it is Mother's Day. So if you haven't quite figured it out, uh, you still have a little bit of time. Uh, you've got just over 12 hours left in Mother's Day. So we'd encourage you to, uh, to honor and uh, to bless and uh, uh, to support your mom. And uh, certainly a great opportunity of being in the Lord's house here this day. One particular day, a little girl was sitting and watching her mother do dishes at the kitchen sink. All of a sudden, she noticed that her mother had several strands of white hair sticking out in contrast to her brunette hair. She looked at her mother and inquisitively asked, Mommy, why are some of your hairs white? Her mother thought and, and tried to give uh, some kind of response. And, and when you hear this, it's, it's going to sound like a, a mom response. Her mommy said, well, every time that you do something wrong or make me cry or make me unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. Doesn't that sound like a little, little bit of mom guilt kind of stuck in there, a little bit of mom guilt? So the little girl looked at that and she thought about that as she, she saw the, the handful of white hairs and, and wondering what that must have meant for her. She thought about the revelation for a while and then she said, Mommy, so how come all of Grandma's hairs are white? She's putting two and two together and she's wondering what's up with Mommy there. So I don't know whether you have caused a lot of gray hairs or white hairs or loss of hair for, for your mother, uh, but uh, hopefully you've, you've, been a, you know, you've, you've been a good son, you've been a good daughter. And, and, but you know what? When it comes to Mother's Day, we, we tend to have some of our, our go-to scriptures and our go-to biblical characters. Uh, it, you know, Proverbs 31 is mentioned a lot. The Proverbs 31 woman. And it's, it's a great chapter, uh, an incredible chapter about the, the blessings of this incredible woman, this incredible wife. Uh, maybe you think about Mother's Day and you think about uh, Jesus' mother. I mean, who in the world that, that God would choose somebody to be the, the mother of Jesus Christ, to, to place in, inside of her little baby Jesus. And, and uh, maybe you think about Old Testament. You think about Hannah who, who prayed and prayed and prayed that God would answer her prayer for a little one. And, you know, you think about all these different things. And, and I've preached on and proclaimed truths from, from pretty much every single one of those at some point. And there's a lot of incredible and godly. And, and sometimes when you look at women in the Bible, you, you look at them and they seem so unattainable. How in the world can, can we measure up to, to this kind of woman? Well, this morning, I'm going to preach from maybe one of the least likely candidates to be referenced and mentioned when it comes to Mother's Day. Well, we tend to think about Proverbs 31 and perfection. We tend to think about Jesus' mother and, and perfection. Well, we're going to probably go the opposite route and look at some imperfection this morning. I invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Many of you know, oh, Joshua chapter 2, he's probably heading here. Some of you are thinking, Joshua chapter 2, I thought Joshua was a man. Joshua is, but we're going to see Joshua chapter 2. Moses has died. 
He was leading the Israelites, uh, led them out of Egypt. That was the, the great uh, event called the Exodus, and God did plagues and, and led them out of Egypt. And then they wandered in the wilderness for many years, and uh, Moses died, Joshua became the leader, and God is going to lead them into the promised land. But Joshua decides to send some spies to spy out the land. And so that's where we get to in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia. He instructed them, spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Whoops. There you go. The woman in verse 1 is the woman, the mother, we're going to be checking out and investigating this morning on Mother's Day. Now, again, it, this is... This is kind of far from what we, we tend to think about perfection. We think about Proverbs 31. The woman who's got it all under control, the woman who has done everything right their entire life, that's many times what we think about in, in Mother's Day. And we, we've got some incredible mothers. We've got some incredible grandmothers. How many of you know that, that every single one of us have sinned? Every single one of us have, have done something wrong. Now, we might not have a title. Her title is not Rahab the lawyer. It's not Rahab the doctor. It's another the that comes after here, right? And so when we read this, I, the spies make it to this house and stay there. Let me just, for the record, so you hear me, that's not what I would recommend for lodging. We've got network conference, used to be called district council, coming up here next, uh, next month, uh, heading to Columbus, uh, taking part in, in the business uh, of, the, of the state and taking part in the, uh, uh, the ordination service as we pray and, and uh, ordain some new candidates. I can guarantee you that's not the kind of place I'm going to be staying at. So just so we get that clear, you heard it here. It, Kim, Kim nods her head and says, amen. Okay. So... Uh, Already, we're, we're a little uncomfortable in the fact that Pastor Mark read this verse out loud and it's family worship day and everybody's in here this morning. Why would the spies have gone to a, a place like this, perhaps? Perhaps that particular, uh, particular place, Rahab and her profession, probably was in the know with a lot of local news. It would probably would have aroused the least suspicion because there's people, unfortunately, men coming in and out of that place every single day. So she's probably going to be aware of certain things that's taking place in that community, in that city here. Probably aroused not too much suspicion. And as we'll see a little bit later, she was located, her home was located on the wall, probably a little bit easier access in and access out of that house. Somehow, the king of Jericho, leader of Jericho, hears and, and understands that there's some spies in the midst, and so he sends some soldiers to Rahab's house to apprehend and arrest the spies. 
next couple verses, that's what takes place. These other men come in. And in verse 4, here's what Rahab says in response. The men, speaking about the spies, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the city at dusk as the city gates were about to close, and I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. All right, let's just be honest here. What did Rahab just do in that particular verse? Shout it out. Shout it out. Yeah, you see that? I said, let's be honest here. What did she do? She lied. There's no, there's no other way to say it. We don't sugarcoat the fact. Rahab lied. She lied straight up to her own people. Her king and the soldiers who were coming you know, to arrest these other people, not her. She lied to them and protected the Israelite spies. Now, let's just get this out in the open. Nowhere in Scripture is Rahab commended or honored for her profession. It's, it's not a godly profession. It's a sinful profession, not something that ought to be done. So she is not honored or commended for her profession. She's not honored and commended for her lies. She is honored and commended for her faith. We're going to see a little bit later both faith and actions. So very interesting, this, this woman named Rahab and her reactions. So she lies to the soldiers, sends them out on a wild goose chase. So they're, they're trying to find these spies every way and everywhere outside of her home. She then goes to the spies and, and she shares her view of God then in verse 9. Read it with me. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid. Everyone is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. I mean, she is running through step by step everything that God had done through the Israelites, bringing them out of Egypt, conquering kings. I mean, she knew exactly what was taking place. And what's interesting, as you read the word Lord in there, she's, just, she's not talking kind of about this general little G God. She's using the uppercase capital L-O-R-D. It is that official, personal name of God that the Israelites would use. So she, she is affirming everything of what God has done. Verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. She's saying, this isn't just some other God amongst all the other gods of these nations. She's saying, this God, your God, is the God. Lord over all, supreme ruler. She's declaring this statement of faith. There is no one like God. Kind of interesting. 
Because the Israelites themselves, they had seen what God had done. They had seen how God did the plagues. They had seen how God delivered them from Egypt. And yet, what happened? Many of them did not believe. As a, as a result, as a consequence, they wandered around 40 years in the wilderness. And here's Rahab, the so she's got, she's got kind of a past, a sinful past. She's in a, a foreign country, serving other God kind of country. And based on what she's seen and heard, she's declaring the truth of who God is when many of the Israelites themselves hadn't done that and they were witnessing it. So she makes an agreement with the spies. She asks for safety. She would help them escape and they would come back and, and rescue her and her family. She knows they're going to be conquered. She knows this, this city is going to be conquered by God. Verse 14, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise when the Lord gives us the land. So there's kindness, there's victory, all of that is assured. And then verse 15, then since Rahab's house was built into the city wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Wow. Kind of interesting that these spies come to a, a, a house and an individual quite like this. Can you imagine how Rahab must have felt? I mean, she'd gone out on a limb confessing and, and declaring who God is, lying to her own people to try to protect these Israelites. And now there's this agreement she keeps quiet. She doesn't say anything about this conquering army, the Israelites, that's coming. And her and her family are going to be safe. Can you imagine what was going through her mind a little bit later? When she looks down out the wall and, and she sees the Israelites come. And they march around the city. They make an, an entire circumference all the way around the city. And her hopes are getting up. Today's the day. They march around the city once and then they leave. Can you imagine how her heart must have risen inside of her and then sunk deep inside of her? I mean, you talk about having trust. Trust in these spies. Can you ever really trust spies? You watch spy movies and, and spy TV shows. And you never really know, can you trust them or not? She's putting trust in spies. She's putting trust in this God. She's declared, you know, She's professed to be the one true God. Second day, they come and do the same thing. One day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days they come, they march around the city once and then they leave. Her hopes get up and their hopes are dashed. Day seven comes and something a little different happens. They march around once, but instead of leaving, they march a second time. She says, yes, it's finally here. And then they march a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time, and a sixth time, and a seventh time. It took the seventh day, and the seventh time, as you read scripture, they then gave the shout of victory, blew the trumpets, and the walls came down, and Rahab and her family were saved. Now, at that particular time, she had no husband and had no children, we don't really read anything else about Rahab through the entire rest of the Old Testament to the very first book of the New Testament. 
Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. We see that after the fall of Jericho, Rahab, she was saved. She came and lived with the Israelite people, and she married a man by the name of Salmon. Some of you might like to eat salmon, kind of like that. Together they had a son named Boaz. Boaz might sound familiar to some of you. He's the one who married Ruth. There's an entire book of the Old Testament named Ruth. Boaz and Ruth had a son by the name of Obed. Obed had a son by the name of Jesse. And Jesse had a son by the name of, oh, David. You know, shepherd boy David who became King David. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Matthew's writing this, this genealogy of Jesus Christ, his background in history, and he's tracing people all the way up to Jesus Christ. Rahab, the prostitute. Not only was the great-great-grandmother of King David, she was part of the line and lineage of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And then she's mentioned again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And again in James 2, 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Hebrews honors her for her faith. James reports and honors the actions. Not about the lying. Wasn't honoring her profession, wasn't honoring her lies, but the faith that she had and the faith that she then put into action. I know. Different kind of individual. Not quite the, the cookie-cutter perfect mom mold. Rahab was a mother, great, great grandmother of King David and part of the line and lineage of Jesus Christ. Why in the world are we looking at a, at a text from Joshua and, and looking at this woman named Rahab? The balance of our time briefly this morning. I want to share just a handful of Mother's Day truths from Rahab. Yes, we've looked at Proverbs 31 in the past. We've looked at some of these other incredible godly women in the past. And yet we look at someone named Rahab whose profession was sinful but who declared faith and trust in God. I believe there's a handful of things that we can learn, you and I, this morning. What are some of these Mother's Day truths? Number one, God sees past our past now understand this God sees everything he doesn't need those mom goggles to do it God sees everything you think moms see everything right they, they, they know what goes on in that bathroom they know what you're doing with that toilet paper they, they know where stuff is hidden I mean they've got this incredible sight and vision and hearing they can hear you from across the room from across the house without even reading lips I mean moms know because moms are incredible now take that 
ramp it up, amp it up uh, a million times to see that God knows and God sees everything. You might think you get away with some stuff. And maybe you do. I mean, the, the phrase is that moms have what in the back of their head? Moms have eyes in the back of their heads. In other words, they see it all, they know it all. Now, let's be honest. And, and don't raise your hand, just look at me and smile. If there's been ever anything you've ever gotten away with that your mom does not know about still to this day, just eye contact and smile. Don't look at your mom. Okay, lots of smiles going on, right? Moms see a lot. But chances are good, you've probably gotten something past mom. Nothing gets past God. God sees everything. God sees everything about you. He sees everything about me. God sees everything about Rahab. God's not shocked or surprised at who she is, at, at what this profession is. God sees and knows and understands everything. Understand this, we're not defined by our past. Many times we feel that we are. The nicknames and stories, they can tend to define us, right? You've had different individuals maybe in middle school, high school, college, your young adult life or adult life. You do something or say something or somebody else does or says something and all of a sudden they've got a nickname. And pretty soon, that's what everybody's calling them, or that's what you're thinking about when you see them. All of a sudden, your mind goes back to something they said, something they did. Maybe it was dumb. Maybe it was childish. Maybe they were, you know, they, they were bet. But they did something, and that kind of has defined. It's, it's followed them through year after year, maybe decade after decade. I mean, with Rahab and her past and the profession and, and the things that she has done that's impure and against God's word and, and desire, yet God's able to see past that, not to excuse that, but God's able to see past her and your and my dirty exterior into our heart. He, he's able to see past the past life of sin. Moms have incredible belief in kids, right? I mean, so many times, no matter what sons and daughters do, moms see, see past that. Moms love their kids. And their kids are perfect. They can do no wrong. God sees past the past doesn't excuse that, but he sees past the past to what you and I can become in him. I believe we can see that through Rahab and her life. God sees past our past. Secondly, God loves us in spite of our past. Every single one of us in this place have a past. Because the Bible is very clear. All have what? Sinned and what? fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong. It's just 
With some people, it comes out a little bit more readily than others. If you're a public figure, if you're running for a public office, if, if you're a, a sports hero or entertainment hero, I mean, particularly in today's day and age and culture with cell phones and their cameras and video capabilities and our social media, it's why part of why we teach young people and children when, it, when you're old enough and you've got some of these social media accounts, what you type and what you say and the pictures you take, they live on in the internet, right? So many employers are, are taking a look at your past. What were you posting about? Well, I was in college. Sometimes that affects your higher ability. Well, I was in high school. And we see time after time what somebody has said, what somebody has done, that past has followed them. We would hate for, for somebody to record some of those sinful things that we had done in the past and put on the front page of a newspaper. We want to keep that past in the past. And many times when it comes to sin, we struggle with, okay, we forgive certain things with family or with friends, but there's certain things we say, whoa, that's just too much and too far. Sorry. But God loves me. God loves you. And God loved Rahab in spite of our pasts. Every single one of us have sinned. We've all done wrong. God doesn't look at us and say, ah, you're out. You've sinned. You're out. I mean, we played the simple game just to determine who could play the game. And we said, you know, with, with our uh, rock, paper, scissors, you win, you stay in, you lose, you're out. God didn't look at us and go, oh, you sinned, sit down, you're out of here. God loves us in spite of our past. Now, he doesn't love our past. He doesn't love the sin that we're a part of, but he loves you and he loves me in spite of that. The writer Oscar Wilde said this, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. It's a future in God as we trust in him. God sees, God knows, we can't hide anything from God. God knows everything about you and everything about me. And not only does he see past our past, he loves us anyway in spite of our past. That's incredibly encouraging because every single one of us have sinned, but it encourages us that God loves you and God loves me. So not only does he see past our past and love us in spite of our past, thirdly, God forgives our entire past. We can tend to forgive certain things and hold grudges on other things. Little things, okay, I'll, I'll let that slide. But you did this, you said this, and some of you, you've got grudges. You've not just been holding on to for weeks, months, years. Some of you have got grudges for decades, right? You, you cross that person in the grocery store, and your mind goes back to middle school because they said or did this. And we struggle to let it go. 
God doesn't just love us in spite of our past. God comes and cleanses and forgives our, our entire past. Forgives completely. Now in, in Rahab's profession, she was professing that God was the one true God. Her culture, and they worshiped so many different gods. She's basically saying, he's the one true God. All these other things that we've been following and serving, that's fake and false. There's got to be a profession of faith for you and I. Romans talks about it. Repenting, confessing, believing. We turn from our sin, we turn to God. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess our sins... We confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will be saved. Some of you, are, maybe you're a little skeptical. Maybe, maybe you're wondering, does God really know what I've done? I mean, my mom sure doesn't. And let's keep it that way, Pastor Mark. I'm not telling. But God knows. And you wonder, is there any way God would forgive me? I mean, does he know that I said this? Does he know that I did that? The answer is yes, he knows, and yes, he will forgive. He says in his word, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does that. The good news is our sin can be forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. It means God doesn't just see us. God doesn't just love us from afar and say, okay, yeah, I love you, but you stay over there because, boy, you've done some bad things. He sees us, he knows us, he loves us, but he's willing to forgive us if we come, we confess, we believe, we put our trust in him. Finally, not only does he see past our past, not only does he love us in spite of our past, not only does he forgive us of our entire past, but he leaves our past in the past. He's able to look into you and look into me and see what we can be in him. And you look, so many different individuals who were scared or worried or afraid or impure as Rahab, and God saw past that, loved, forgave, left that in the past and says, I'm going to now use you for my honor and for my glory. How incredible is that? To think that Rahab with her past would be a great, great grandmother of King David and mentioned along the line and lineage of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Understand, we don't have to be perfect to be used by God. God often takes some of the very ordinary people to do some pretty extraordinary things. We have to look at individuals and say, ah, they're hopeless. God will never use this person. <laughs> I mean, that person, yeah, 
That pastor, that board member, that teacher, yes, but this person over here, there's just no way. God in his grace and his love and his mercy can reach out and touch any heart in any life. Rahab had a lot against her. Not just her sinful profession. She was a woman. She was also not an Israelite. In that day, in that age, in that culture, not some very positive things or you would think this is the one that's, that's going to be used in an incredible way. Maybe you look at yourself and say, why would God want me? Why would God choose or use me? Doesn't he know what I've done in my past? Yes. God sees and knows. God loves you anyway. God wants to forgive you and then use you for his honor and for his glory. With God and his power, he can change things. He can forgive and heal wounds from the past, turn things around. But it starts with turning and returning to him. Close with this story taken from one of Max Lucado's book. It's about a woman named Christina. Christina lived in a small dusty village in Brazil. Her heart was empty and she felt like society had cheated her of its joys. She longed for the excitement of the big city of Rio. One morning her mother Maria awoke to find Christina's bed was empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately what she must do to find her. She quickly threw, uh, threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all her money and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing. Pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew that Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that before were unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a seedy reputation. She went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to the corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both her money and her pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small little village. It was a few weeks later that the young Christina walked down her hotel stairway. Her face was tired, her brown eyes no longer danced with youth but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken, her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade those countless beds for her secure one at home. Yet that little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and, and slowly removed the small photo. She turned it over and written on the back was this invitation. Whatever you have done, 
whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. I encourage you and I with those very words. As if God would be speaking to you and God would be speaking to me, I encourage you, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, please come home. Maria was the mother with that mother's love to love and to forgive and to welcome her daughter home. On an even greater level is the love of an almighty heavenly father to love you, to love me. In the midst of our past, in the midst of our sin, he sees it, he knows it, yet he still loves you, he loves me, ready to welcome and forgive our sins and choose to use us in spite of it anyway. Will you turn or return home to him? <laughs> 